Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55:11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study His Word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Journey Through the Bible uh, with Josh. Uh, thank you for listening. I just uh, really appreciate uh, you taking the time to listen. If this is something you enjoy, hey, I ask a favor of you. Uh, if you can just share this with your friends, share this on your social media, um, just uh, kind of get the word out. I want to uh, bless as many people as possible, not because of me, but because it is the word of God. Uh, this week, we are uh, continuing on our journey uh, through the book of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 5, and we're diving into the Beatitudes. Now, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, or really the last two episodes, um, both the intro to the Sermon on the Mount and the intro to the Beatitudes, I encourage you just to hit that pause button, uh, go back to the channel, and and listen to those other uh, two episodes first, because those are going to give us a great foundation uh, to what we are beginning to dive into uh, today as we uh, dive into the poor in spirit and what it means to be blessed as the poor in spirit and really uh, further on episodes uh, throughout the uh, throughout the Beatitudes. So I encourage you to do that. Um, if you've already done that and you're here to listen, uh, continue listening. Uh, again, I appreciate it. And so here we are, Matthew uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 3 is where we're going to be spending our time today. But uh, just I want us to understand the context. So we're going to read the whole Beatitudes Verse 3 through 11. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, in the previous episode, we spent some time uh, dissecting this word that is used for blessed in the Beatitudes. That is the word uh, makarios. Now, I don't want to reiterate uh, last episode as you can go back and listen to it, but I do want us to understand is remember as we continue that this word for blessed is not a blessing of reception. It is not I am being given something and though I and so I am being filled. It is uh, I am flourishing in a covenant relationship with my Father through uh, through Jesus Christ. And so when we say, blessed are the poor in spirit, we understand that what Jesus is getting across is that the ones who are poor in spirit are the ones who are flourishing because of this covenant relationship, again, with, with, with Jesus Christ. A couple other things I want to just set down in stone here before we uh, continue on the specifics of being poor in spirit is we see these Beatitudes um, are set up as a counter-cultural uh, approach. 
when we read these uh, Beatitudes, we see that there's not really a lot of natural, fleshly, worldly value to them. They're actually quite opposite. And that's intentional. Jesus contrasts kingdom principles with worldly values. Now, this is something that happens throughout Scripture. It's not unique to these, uh, to these few verses here. This is something that happens throughout Scripture. We read the words of Jesus, and we quickly realize that living a kingdom lifestyle is going to be different than what we will naturally turn to. Our flesh is going to naturally want to do one thing, but Jesus calls us to do often quite the opposite. Each of the Beatitudes gives us a kingdom characteristic that is set in direct contrast to a worldly value. And we see that all, all throughout Scripture. We see the, the servitude or the servitude of Jesus in, in him washing the disciples' feet. That does not come natural. We see the, the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit contrasted in Galatians 5. Right? What we naturally will, will go towards, what our flesh will naturally desire, is in direct contrast to what Jesus desires us to live by. And that's what we see here in the Beatitudes. He gives us a set of characteristics that are quite opposite of what we naturally go for. What Jesus is telling us when we, is when we embody the flourishing characteristics within the Beatitudes, it is going to set us up to live a life drastically different from the world. It goes against what the world tells us is good or acceptable. But what matters is what is good and what is acceptable in the eyes of Jesus. And that's what we read here in the Beatitudes. And so we start off in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now what does poor in spirit mean? Poor, the word, means lacking sufficient means to live life. But it does not speak to our physical condition. Being poor in spirit speaks to our spiritual condition. And it's one to which we must make ourselves aware. It is something that we must be aware of, that we are poor in spirit. We are unable to live life. We are lacking the sufficient means to live life in and of ourselves. And nowhere is that shown greater than our inability to please God. We are unable to please God in and of ourselves. It is impossible. We cannot please God in and of ourselves. Now, this is an unassailable tenet of Scripture, our inability to please God. Ever since the fall of men in Genesis, Genesis 3, the gulf between God and man has been impossibly wide. If we were to take a look at the story of the Old Testament, it is clear a major theme is man's consistent inability to meet the standards of God's righteousness. We see in the span between Adam and Noah that mankind ran rampant in sin, and God's observation in Genesis 6 verse 5 remains accurate of the earth. He said, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We see in the story of Israel, a people who persistently ran after their own heart's desires. In Exodus, even as God was describing to Moses what righteousness looked like uh, as he was giving him the law, you had Moses up on the mountain meeting with God, and even in that moment, the people of Israel, the people that God had called to himself, were at the base of the mountain building a golden calf to worship as their God. 
throughout Israel's history, disobedience, rebellion, selfishness, envy, hatred, and all other manners of sin came easily and naturally to them. Numerous times throughout the book of Judges, we are told that every man did what was right in his own eyes. The same is true of us today. Humanity has not changed. We are out for our own interests, our own desires. We make ourselves the standard of righteousness, lifting ourselves up in self-gratifying pride, comparing ourselves to others around us to ensure our standard is higher than what we think it ought. Yet, we look inside and realize that Jeremiah was right in Jeremiah 7.9 when he said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Man is in his futile effort is completely incapable of pleasing the Lord who is altogether mighty and holy. My mind goes to Isaiah 64 verse 6 where he states that our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even the best attempt at being pleasing to God falls utterly short. Think of the most noble thing that we can do, the most right thing that we can do, the most wonderful thing that we could attain to. Think of that, do that, and then realize that even in that act, it is like taking a filthy towel and throwing it at the feet of Jesus. That is what our righteous acts are like. Romans 3, 9 through 12 says this. Paul is saying, we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So to be poor in spirit, it begins with our realization that these verses apply to us. That my righteous acts are like filthy rags. That I am not righteous. Not even a little bit. I am utterly and completely lost. And I have an utter and complete inability to please the Lord in and of myself. With that realization comes an acceptance that to do anything pleasing in His sight, we depend entirely upon Him. Being poor in spirit involves emptying ourselves of ourselves and placing ourselves at the mercy of our Heavenly Father. Arthur Pink has a, a book the exposition of the Sermon on the Mountain. In it, he says this, Poor in spirit, when is the last time we pray to be emptied? Emptied of self-righteousness, confidence in self, self-importance. Poverty of spirit is a consciousness of my emptiness, the result of the Spirit's work within. It issues from the painful discovery that all my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It follows the awakening that my best performances are unacceptable, yea, an abomination to the thrice holy one. Poverty of spirit evidences itself by its bringing the individual into the dust before God, acknowledging his utter helplessness and deservingness of hell. End quote. That is being poor in spirit. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. It's hard for us to realize that we don't measure up. It's hard for us to accept that we can't do it on our own. 
it's hard for us to understand our complete and total dependency upon God. But that is exactly what we must grasp in order to understand poverty of spirit. Now, there is a close correlation between being poor in spirit, which is the first beatitude, and the second beatitude, which we will hit on in the next episode. But that's blessed are those who mourn. Now, being poor in spirit, it's the intellectual realization that we are sinful. It is coming to a intellectual understanding that I am a sinner. I am apart from God. There is an inseparable gulf between me and God, and I am incapable of crossing that gulf without Jesus, and thus I am in need of a Savior. Mourning here in Matthew 5 is the emotional response to that intellectual realization of our sin. So whereas poverty of spirit or being poor in the spirit, it's us realizing that we are sinners and that we are in desperate need of a Savior and we need God to live life. Mourning, as we'll talk about in the next episode, is the emotional response to that realization. But both bring us to a point where we accept our complete dependence upon him. And that is foundational to to understanding poverty of spirit. Here's the thing, guys. We bring nothing to the table in this relationship between us and God. We bring nothing to the table in this relationship between us and God. And yet, he wants all we have and are. For with our lack, he is able to produce plenty. Being poor in spirit begins with an understanding of our lack, but it ends in an embrace of his fullness. Poor in spirit begins with an understanding of our lack, but it ends in an embrace of his fullness. Allow us to recall that it is the poor in spirit that are blessed. Remember, we're talking about these flourishing characteristics, so uh, lest we forget that this is a good thing. Jesus is saying that we are flourishing when we are poor in spirit. We are flourishing when we realize that we can't do life on our own. We are flourishing when we understand that without Jesus, we it is impossible to please the Father. We are flourishing when we understand and when we accept and when we admit to God that, God, I can't do this life without you. I can't live this life without your power. We are flourishing in that minute. That is what it means to be blessed here according to Matthew chapter 5. I cannot please God in myself. But the beauty is that through Jesus... We obtain his righteousness, so we stand before the Father as complete. So in and of myself, yeah, I'm poor in spirit. I I am unable to come before God and and offer him anything. I am unable to to even even approach God because I am am so utterly and completely dependent upon him. But when we come to that place of dependence, Jesus imputes upon us his righteousness, and we stand before God complete. Lacking nothing. That is the most beautiful picture of flourishing that I can think of. We can come before the Father. Just the fact that we can come before the Father is a grace given to us by Jesus or through Jesus. But we can stand before him complete because Jesus has given his righteousness to us. So yes, I'm poor in spirit. Yes, I'm incapable of pleasing God. Yes, I am absolutely unable to give him anything. But Jesus gives me everything that I need. 
John 15.5 gives us such a great illustration of both the reality and, and the encompassing joy of poverty of spirit. He says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now I'll pause there. Let's understand the dependent relationship that a branch has to the vine. Without the vine, the branch will wither and die. Right? Because it is the vine that gives the branch life. It is the vine that gives the branch everything that the branch needs. The branch doesn't do anything. Right? The branch is incapable of doing anything. The branch can't draw water out of the ground. The branch can't get the life-sustaining nutrients that the vine gives, though. Only the vine can give that. And so Jesus is giving us this relationship that we have with him. It's one where he is the vine. He is the life giver. We are the dependent ones. We are the branches. We are completely and utterly dependent upon him for everything in life. He continues, he says this, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he says, he it is that bears much fruit. Now let's go back to last episode for just a moment and recall our conversation on flourishing and, and relating that to Psalms 1 and that tree that is planted by the water and how that tree is flourishing because of where it is. Right? That is us, and that is what Jesus is saying here in John 15, that if we are abiding in him, we are going to bear much fruit. And what is that a signif signification of? Right? If I'm bearing much fruit, that is a signification of life. It is vitality. It is flourishing. When I am bearing fruit, I am flourishing. And that is what Jesus is saying happens as a result of our relationship with him. And then he reminds us, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's Matthew 5, 3, all over again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now there's a phrase people often attribute to scripture that is not. It's this, God won't put more on me than I can bear. This is absolutely false and unbiblical, for it is absolutely true that life itself is too much for us to bear. We need Jesus every day of our lives, for apart from him we can do nothing. Now I love the saying that has floated around social media. It's, it's, it's meant to be comical, uh, but it, brings, it, it does bring a good point. The... the, the uh, uh, the conversation or the saying begins with asking a question. You know, do you need the Holy Spirit to be saved? And the reply goes like this. Do you need the Holy Spirit to be saved? You need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> right? That's, that, that's a comical take at it, but it's true. Life will present situations and circumstances that are beyond both our control and our ability to handle. But we already know that because we are poor in spirit. We already know that we can't handle this life. We already know that this life is too much for us. We already know that we can't do it on our own because we are poor in spirit. It is in the connection to the vine that is Jesus that I am flourishing. It is in the connection to Jesus that I am living the kingdom life. 
So we are blessed. We are flourishing in God's graces and favor when we realize we can't do life by ourselves. To be poor in spirit means to be completely dependent upon God for living. Not just for spiritual things, but for everything. Financial, emotional, physical, spiritual. Everything that I need in my life, I need from God. Being poor in spirit means we decide to live life in submission. Not on my own, but I'm walking through life together with God. There's also a necessity for humility. And being poor in spirit, we must be humble. It requires humility to admit that we can't live life on our own. It requires humility to admit that we don't have our whole act together. It requires humility to admit that I am incapable of living life in a God-pleasing way in and of myself. And that is where we really see the contrast with worldly values. Again, I said, right, Jesus is bringing these beatitudes as a contrast to worldly values. So the, the, the kingdom value is that I am poor in spirit. I am incapable of living life on my own. But that's not what the world says. Right? Jesus contrasts that because the world says that true success is to be self-reliant. Independence is what we want. To depend on someone else's weakness, to admit that we are unable to live life on our own power, is contrary to what we naturally feel is right or good. Yet that is exactly what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus calls us to live life counter to the way the world lives. To live life completely dependent upon his grace and his power. Hence we read that theirs is the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of earth. And that is the promise that we see. Right? We are flourishing if we are poor in spirit, or rather the poor in spirit are flourishing. Why are they flourishing? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, when we give up rulership or ownership of our lives and we live under his leadership and his control, we trade the poverty of this earth for the riches of heaven. Now notice it does not say there's will be the kingdom of heaven. It says there's is the kingdom of heaven. Now herein lies the already not yet tension that is so evident in the sermon. We talked about that in the introduction to the sermon. We have this already not yet tension. We have this tension of the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet we are still waiting for the full, for the full realization of his kingdom that we will see uh, someday in the future. And so herein, even, even in this, we, we're seeing that tension. When we give up control and we live dependent upon him, we are opening up both our present and our future to his reign. When I realize I am poor in spirit, I can't do life in and of myself, I am coming to the realization that it's all up to him. And so he reigns in my life both now and forever. We can cross-reference that with uh, chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. We'll uh, get to that in a while, but uh, for now, let's go to 19 through 21. 
Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The importance of living life with eternity in mind. And that's what makes living life with a poverty of spirit possible. Now the irony in this whole thing is that we are so dependent upon God that even to admit that we are unable to please him requires his grace upon us. We can't even, we can't even admit that on our own. We are, we are so incapable of admitting that we can't do life on our own that we can't even admit that without his grace upon us. The truth must not be forgotten that the blessedness, the flourishing of Matthew 5 is only possible within a covenant relationship with Jesus. We are flourishing because God is shining his grace upon us to enable us to be poor in spirit. And when we allow his Holy Spirit to bring us to this point, we find that we are living a kingdom life now, submitting and surrendering ourselves to the reign and authority of the king. So flourishing are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, thank you for listening. Again, I ask if, uh, if this is something that you enjoy, that you think will maybe uh, bless others around you, go ahead and share it. Uh, share it on your social media channels. Share it by word of mouth. Uh, it can be found on any, uh, any of the major podcasting uh, sites. Again, I appreciate you listening. I pray that God's blessings be upon you and that God's word will accomplish what he purposes within your life. Have a great day.